Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you all for gathering here uh, this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this YMCA gymnasium on a holiday weekend, no less. So glad to gather with you guys. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Jamie. It's my great joy to serve as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. I'd love to connect with you after the, the service if you've got a moment. Um, I'm excited. We are into week three here of this series called The Light of the Gospel. It's this journey through the great letter, the great book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, before we get into that, just want to call your attention to something we've been talking about um, over the past few weeks. Really, it's something we've done over the past now three years um, uh, called the Mishpat Project. All right, And so we are entering into the final week of this, at least as it pertains to phase one. And so I just wanted to bring an update to you all. Next Sunday, February 23rd, um, is what we're calling for as a, a commitment Sunday. All right, um, and that commitment Sunday looks like going online, and if you're going to be participating in this, there's a form that you can fill out and communicate to us as, as the church, mishpotproject.com. You can get there that way, or always cpwp.life, and you'll find the card there. But mishpot is this Hebrew word, all right, for justice. It's this right ordering of things. And this year, we have this amazing opportunity, all right, to plant a church to care for those that are kind of marginalized, oftentimes forgotten in the culture and society, all right, some of the, the poorest, some of the widows and orphans, and an opportunity to extend the global reach of the gospel. So specifically, the Mishpat Project is us partnering with our church planning network, Acts 29, as well as Compassion International to plant a church somewhere in Central or South America, all right? Uh, we'll be paired with that, that's another phase in this. And then we will have children from a particular village and area that we can sponsor, mission trips to go as a church to minister to the kids that we as a church and as individual families, individuals have been able to sponsor and engage in. But in order to do this, to get that plant started, in order to have the community development center built so that all of these things can happen, that kids can be cared for, we are seeking to raise, the cost for this is $75,000. So phase one is raising that, which is a large amount of money, no doubt. Um, God in his graciousness toward us um, has provided us with an outside, a donor, an organization that's doing a match. And it's not just a one-to-one -one match, it's a three-to-one match, which is pretty incredible, right? So to raise the 75,000, it means us as a church need to raise $18,750. Still, not an insignificant amount of money, but I feel very doable. In fact, we've done this over the last couple of years together as a church. And so whether you're new to, you know, if this is like your church home or you're new or you just want to, man, this sounds incredible. It is. I'd love for you to participate. And so I'd ask you sometime this week prior to next, uh, next Sunday or on next Sunday to go to cpwp.life and find that card or mishpotproject.com. Um, that's the commitment card. Um, I mean, it's a pretty incredible thing. You think about it like, hey, you give $10, it becomes 40. You give $100, it becomes 400. You give $1,000, it becomes $4,000, all right? Um, and you're like, Is, are those the only amounts you can give? No, it's just I can't do the math very well, all right? And so I'm just keeping it simple for me up here. But whatever you get, it's a give, it's a three-to-one match. At this point, as of checking this, I believe sometime yesterday, all right, um, of this just under $19,000, we are about $11,000 already pledged or given. So we are well on our way there, and so praying that God, through his people as the church, um, provides the rest of that means so that we can actually complete phase one, and then the next phase would be being matched with a church planner somewhere in Central or South America and begin the next phase then of sponsoring kids, seeing this church built up, all of that. So commitment cards next Sunday, be praying through that. There's also... The, Tons of information at mishpotproject.com, all right, explaining in far more detail than I just gave you. But I would encourage you to go there 
share that, invite other people. You don't even have to be part of this church to participate in this. It's an amazing opportunity to spread the gospel. All right, so I'm excited about this. Now, this morning, uh, we are in 2 Corinthians. All right, and let me know, too, if you've got any questions about the Mishpat Project. You can email us, talk to us after the, the service. Um, we would love the opportunity to um, help get you up to speed, answer any questions that you might have. So this morning, we're going to get into the latter part of chapter one and into the first part of chapter two. So to invite you to do this, we want you to follow along. You don't need to hear my thoughts or opinions on things like we go to God's word. It's our regular practice at Crosspoint to pick a book of the Bible and then make our way through it. And we come to sections and texts and verses. And sometimes as a preacher, it's like, oh, I'd rather skip that. Or maybe I can kind of gloss over that. But it forces us to be like, well, this is God's word and we're gonna just keep making our way through it. And this is this letter that Paul writes to a church that he helps start and he's away from them. And it's one of the most raw, just sort of like insider look into like what's going on in the Apostle Paul's heart. And what I love about it is what we see him wrestling through and the people and some of their issues. Man, it's, it's what we deal with. And so it's very timely for us, I believe, just as a, as a church, as a people that are seeking to be faithful in the context that God has put us. So if you brought a Bible, please turn there. If you didn't, a couple options. There's paperback ones on the back tables. You can get up, grab one of those, go to page 1066 is where you'll find 2 Corinthians. Or... Take your phone, go to cpwp.life. The second card, as you swipe over, uh, will say message notes. The text for this morning, as well as what's up on the slides this morning, will be there, space for you to, to take notes. So I wanna go ahead and read this. I think it'll be helpful to, to read it in its entirety at once, and then we'll kind of circle back and begin to talk through this. Um, Paul's gonna be dealing with issues such as being misunderstood, criticism, conflict, stuff that I'm sure in 21st century Western civilization, America, right? Like you never deal with, but just go with me, right? Like every once in a while, conflict pops up. Every once in a while, maybe you're misunderstood. Every once in a while, maybe you sent that, that email and somebody you know, read it a little bit differently than you intended. I mean, those things sort of happen and that's what's happening we're gonna see in this text. And we are gonna learn a ton from the Apostle Paul about like, hey, what do we do when that happens? Particularly when you're talking about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church. And if we think, oh, well, conflict and misunderstanding and backbiting and all that, that's out there in the world. It doesn't exist in God's holy church. Like, you know better than that, right? Like, sometimes it manifests itself. It's, it can be worse sometimes in this. And yet, we're the ones that had the light of the gospel to shine into the darkness and the confusion. And so I believe God has a lot for us this morning. So as I read this, would you go ahead and stand as I read these verses this morning and follow along with me. Beginning in verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. Paul writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Verse 15, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes and yes and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, 
It was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Verse 23, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. And now beginning in chapter two, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should, make me re- who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. So as I alluded to just a moment ago, right, we want to wrestle through this question. I'll explain some of it. Like Paul, we kind of get these bits and pieces. It's like hearing one side of a telephone conversation when you're like, oh, like I sense there's some conflict, there's some drama, there's something that, that's happening. Uh, we're not hearing necessarily the, the other side of the conversation. So we got to kind of infer like, hey, what, what was the point of contention? And it's less about the particulars of the contention that Paul and the Corinthians were dealing with. And it's more kind of zooming out and looking, okay, well, what does that have to say to you and me? Like, yes, we'll look at the particulars, but the particulars of his context and his situation are not going to look identical to you and me. But the overall problems that we face of things like how do we handle criticism and conflict, particularly amongst those that are fellow brothers and sisters in, in Christ. So what I want to do this morning, I want to start out, let's just look here in verses 12 to 17, sort of how Paul approaches this, this conflict. And the conflict centers really around this, all right? To sort of summarize it is years ago, Paul had planted the, the church, all right? And he's written a letter um, that we know as 1 Corinthians, all right? And there were a lot of hard things that Paul had to, had to write. If you go, I encourage you to go. We, a number of years ago, preached through that, that book, taught through that. Um, and Paul, in love, reminds them of the gospel, reminds them of their identity, tells them about the resurrection, reminds them about where meaning is found in life, and also does some corrective work to say God has more for you. But there's been this ongoing tension where none of us like to be told we're doing something incorrectly, right? That we, none of us just sign up, ooh, I'd love to be rebuked, can I be next, right? And so there's, there's this tension that exists there. And they're also, at the same time, they're longing to see Paul, and they, they want to have a visit from him, and he has made some declarations that he's going to go and visit him. And just to sum it up, what ends up happening is Paul has to, he changes his travel plans, all right? So maybe you've made plans with somebody before, all right? Somebody's going to, maybe somebody's going to come visit you, all right, and you're looking forward to it, and maybe, you know, you, you're excited, all right, about this, this happening. Maybe somebody you haven't seen in, in a while, a friend or family member, and then you get word, right? You get that email or that text that's like, hey, sorry, change of plans, I'm not gonna be able to do it. I thought I would be able to see you on my way to somewhere else and then swing back by on my way back home. That's kind of what's happening here. And it's a relatively simple thing, but it's created a lot of misunderstanding. And I think you have, best case, you've got a group of people that, that really long to see their pastor, Paul, and Paul really does desire to, to see them. But what's emerged, are there some within the group that are kind of stirring up dissension and they're basically being critical of Paul, and they're, they're making this a far bigger deal than it actually is. So let's ask 
from this text, like, hey, what, what are we to learn from that? Because my guess is you've been misunderstood. There are things that in your life, maybe you're in the midst of it right now, that there's, some, there's a little bit of drama, there's a little bit of chaos. You're like, ah, I got this thing I got to deal with. Like, let's just look at what the Apostle Paul does. And some of this is more just us it being described to us. Um, but I think we can take some sort of prescriptive things out of it and be like, hey, this would be helpful for us as a community. And so the first thing I think we see in here, just got a few points within each of these. I think you see in verse 12, Paul says, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. Anytime we're dealing with something, I think what we see in the Apostle Paul He's examining, he's like, hey, it's paying attention to the conscience. Like, all right, Holy Spirit, show me, search me. He's spending that time doing it. How many of us would be well served before we fire off a retort or we, we send that text or we send that email or we say that thing on the phone? Like if we would just pause and just be like, hey, let me examine my, my own heart. Now, sometimes you examine your heart and you realize, I actually don't think I have anything in this case to apologize for. That's what's happening with Paul. He's like, I've examined my heart. I feel I've got a clean conscience. And he, he describes it in this way. He's like, hey, these changes of plan and some of the things that I've written to you previously, he's like, I can sleep well at night knowing that we behaved in the world with simplicity, all right? And sort of the language there is, can also be translated as holiness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom. And sincerity is this really interesting word. It's this pairing together of like the heat of the sun. It's like heat and judgment. So picture something being kind of exposed, the searing work of the sun, bringing something to light. Like Paul is communicating, hey, I've examined my heart. The, the heat of the sun has done it, its work, all right? And it's brought to bear. Like if there's anything that needs to be judged, critiqued, he's like, I've opened myself up to that. Now this is not Paul saying, I always get it right. My conscience is always clean. Like go read Romans 7 sometime this week. You'll realize this is a man who still wrestles with sin, and rebellion in his own heart and wickedness. He's not saying, I'm awesome. It's always the Corinthians' fault, all right? But he is saying, in this case, it was sincere, all right? It's sort of this imagery, again, like the light of the sun. I mean, the psalmist gets at this. Like, what if this was our posture? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Not starting out with like, all right, God, tell me about their heart. I made some assumptions about their heart, and I'm right, aren't I? Like, they're wicked, they're evil, they did this. Like, we make all kinds of assumptions very quickly, very easily. But it seems like the more biblical, godly response is like we see with Paul, like we see here with the psalmist. Search me, O God, and, and know my heart. How many of us are actually willing to pray that? I think we avoid this. I know I avoid this because it's a bit terrifying, like what it might actually reveal. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. It's a picture of repentance. It's a picture of an examination. It's like, oh, oh yeah, like I, I've got this aspect. I mean, I got some bitterness or some anger, some unresolved thing. Like, Lord, turn me, lead me in the way of everlasting. Because what you have here is a desire. Like we'll talk about this more in a moment, but ultimately the reason Paul's writing this, he's not wanting to give up on relationship. He's wanting to pursue it's gonna take work. It's gonna take an examination of our own heart. Now, maybe you're not in the midst of that right now, but give it enough time. 
trying to love and care for people that are broken and sinful like you are, like I am, like this stuff, we're gonna have to come back to this. Okay, let's examine our hearts. Sam Storms in his wonderful kind of commentary that's actually, I would say it's more like a, a devotional of these meditations through uh, the letter of 2 Corinthians. I'm gonna quote him a couple times this one. I just found it to be so helpful. He says this, perhaps we all need to pause, put life on hold for a moment and subject our souls to the searing, searching light of God's analysis. And if we were to do so, what would be revealed? Pride, fear, secret agendas, self-promotion, greed, or perhaps, again, and only by the grace of God, a life and approach to ministry that is actually wholly above board and it's self-effacing, Christ-exalting, and it's devoid as can be this side of heaven of hypocrisy and superficiality. And he speaks of that grace of God. And so at the end of the day, what Paul is doing is he's dealing with some people that honestly are, are boasting. They're fairly arrogant. They think that their way is the, the best way. And, and Paul says, hey, the only thing that we can boast in, and he says it here again in ver- verse 12, he's like, our boast is this, and he ends with not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. Christian, if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus, are you marveling at the grace of God? That you were dead, that I was dead in my sin, my trespasses, like I had no hope, and then God reached down, like breathed new life into me, like resurrected me, resurrected you, caused you, gave you faith, like all of that. Like, are you boasting in God's grace? That's literally the only thing we can boast in. If any of us come up and kind of roll in, like, hey, I'm pretty awesome, I've got it figured out, all right? Um, like, if the Apostle Paul had that, it would just take a moment for somebody to remind him, oh, yeah, oh, you're, you think you're amazing? Yeah, what about when you oversaw the killing of Stephen? What about when you were persecuting the church? What about when you were resting on your righteousness? And Paul would be like, oh. That's why he repeatedly remembers his story, and he's like, he can't help but marvel at the grace of God. Want to help in conflict, dealing with criticism, dark, like just remember, it's all God's grace. And if there's some way your conscience is clean and there's something that the other person, this other group of people, whatever, have to deal with, all right, don't think that you are superior to them. Don't look down your nose at them. Remember, like, it's only by the grace of God that you've been saved. It's only by the grace of God that you were gonna actually see any progress made. And so ultimately, as we look at this, I would say it's a move toward sort of the misunderstanding. As I read 13 to 17 earlier, I mean, I think what Paul is doing, he's like, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. He's like, I hope this can help. Let me offer some explanation. I wanna bring clarity where I can. Verse 15, I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you. It's not a lack of desire. I still care for you deeply. All right, and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh? Sort of talking out both sides of your mouth, like yes, yes, but then no, no, and this sort of hypocrisy. He's like, hey, there's something that needs to be dealt with. And in the Christian community, the, the call, all right, what we should be modeling and putting on display is because of the grace of God. This is why we're talking about this as the light of the gospel. The light shines into the darkness, into the places of brokenness. I'm not saying that this is easy, but if any people should have the resources to sort of die to self and move towards others, seeking to bring understanding, seeking to bring clarity, shouldn't it be the church? There's gotta be a call to move. And listen, you might try and move towards somebody. Paul could move towards the Corinthians, all right? And this has happened in his ministry, all right? And he is rejected, or he's mocked, or it creates more confusion. But that doesn't have him going like, 
okay, or I'm gonna stonewall you, or I'm just gonna be indifferent to you. No, no, he continues to press in. He's like, there's misunderstanding. Let me see if, I, see if I can bring some clarity. Let me examine my heart. Let me see if there's something maybe that I've did that has contributed to this. Again, what if that was our, our posture? I think it would go a long way. Are we entering in? Are we seeking to bring just some clarity, some understanding? Are we moving toward that? Right? Jesus tells us this, right? Like if you are there, like you're making your sacrifice, you're giving at the altar, and you remember that there's somebody that has something against you, not that you have something against somebody else, but that's a thing to deal with as well. But even though that somebody has something against you, like leave it there, and he's like, hey, go try and pursue reconciliation. I'll be honest, I'm like, I kind of wish that verse wasn't in there. Like, God, no, they, they come pursue me, right? I'll be here waiting for them when they want to talk about how wrong they were. Like, that's what my heart feels, but there's this call to move. Want to know why it's about the light of the gospel? What did the God of the universe do? He didn't sit back. He didn't go like this. He didn't stonewall us. He wasn't indifferent. He entered in. He sent his son. This is the gospel. This, this is why this book in particular, I mean, it's so helpful. I mean, because we all deal with these sort of things, all right? There's going to be stuff that's going to come up this week, and there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be a little bit of chaos. There's going to be maybe some criticism you're dealing with. And what if we just started here? Now, we got to continue, all right? What Paul does, and I love this. This is, I mean, there's amazing things in all of the, these verses, but these verses here in the middle, I mean, are so glorious. Like, Paul can't help, <clears throat> he can't help himself. He gets, I think, so kind of ramped up and excited here in the midst of pain, all right, in the midst of hardship and confusion and all of it. We're not negating that. We get some insight into what is giving the Apostle Paul sort of the confidence to write another letter, to talk about this, this group of people in a way that he's seeking to bring clarity. He's seeking to love them well. It's because at the end of the day, he's got a confidence in who his God is what he's trying to do here as we look at 18 to 22 is say, listen, at the end of the day, don't put your hope in me. Don't put it in other leaders because that was happening in Corinth. You had people that were like, I'm with Peter or I'm with Cephas and I'm with Apollos and I'm somewhere I'm, I'm with Paul. He's like, that's nonsense. No person, if you've set up anybody in your life, all right, not that you can't have a hero or look up to somebody, but if you've set somebody up in your life, they're like the guru, they're the, the expert, they're the person like you, you sort of revere. They can't hold up under that weight, including the Apostle Paul. Like, it will crush them. They're not the savior. We can't do that to anybody else. You don't wanna be in that spot. Nobody else wants to be in that, that spot. What Paul is doing is saying, but there is one who will actually never disappoint you in the ultimate sense. That doesn't mean you won't deal with disappointment. You gotta hear me in that. What we're gonna read here when he talks about promises and yes to everything is not like a kid, all right, that's asking, can I have this? And you literally say yes to everything. Like think about it growing up. If you had gotten everything that you would ask for as a kid, that would have been terrible. You would have thought it was amazing for a moment, but ultimately it would have destroyed you, right? So at the end of the day, it's not like God is just here, you know, just giving out like this genie. He's just giving out like wishes and granting all of this. But what he is communicating to us is that there is a God, when you understand the story that you're part of, everything else in life will ultimately disappoint you and fail you, including people. And those are some of the, that's some of the most painful times. But you've got a God that loves you, has a plan, is working out this plan for your good, for your joy, and for his ultimate glory. So look with me at 18 to 22. So Paul 
he kind of asks this question, right? Like, am I vacillating? Am I saying yes, yes, and no, no? And then verse 18 says this, as surely as God is faithful. What's he doing here? Is he's grounding like his confidence and the confidence that the Corinthians should have. He's not saying, look at me, I'm awesome. I got a pretty good track record. He's like, as God. So let's look at him, all right? As surely as God is faithful, then our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, so this kind of group that is ministering together, it was not yes and no, but in him, it is always yes. For all, now, this is so glorious right here. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. It's not a finding a yes in anything that you and I ask for. It's a looking back through the pages of scripture and any time a promise is made by the God who is faithful, you can rest assured, you can lay your head down at the pillow at night, at night knowing, that I know the answer to that. It is yes. It is yes and amen to the glory of God that God is 100% faithful to every promise that he has ever made, that everything was ultimately pointing to Jesus. It's one story from beginning to end about God's work of redemption in the world and it all culminates in the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus and that he's coming back. And so Paul says, I don't have a lot of confidence in me. I don't got a lot of confidence in you, but I got a lot of confidence in the God of the universe who makes these promises. And so the opportunity for us when we're dealing with conflict and stuff for one is, for us to rest in this, but also to call people to, hey, there's this bigger story. He uses it as an opportunity to shine the light of the gospel. Like what if we took that as an opportunity to say, hey, we're dealing with stuff and I've examined my heart and actually I did mess up in this way and I'm sorry, but can we just praise God? Like I, I, maybe I sinned against you and I gotta repent of that, confess that, we can grieve that, that there might be real wounds to work through. And yet, how glorious is it that there's a God who has never let us down. He's always been faithful. He is with us even in this mess that we're experiencing right now. That's what Paul is doing. And he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter amen to God for his glory. So we'll just stop there for a moment. I think what is happening here, maybe what we gotta think through is we're dealing with conflict and and some of the difficulty of just life is can we just sort of pause, maybe zoom out, get a bigger picture. I think what Paul's doing here is like, can we just celebrate that there's this cosmic yes? So Paul changed his travel plans. What did the Corinthians hear? No, or at least not right now, or wait, right? And it was disappointing to them and it created friction and tension and you and I have our own things that we ask of people, all right? expectations that, that we have. It's like, okay, we got maybe some stuff to work through. But at the end of the day, as Christians, we should also know, that's why Paul's reminding them, that's why he's shining the light of the gospel in this. Not that it doesn't matter, but like in the big scheme of things, okay, so Paul changed his travel plans. And sure, there's some hurt and some disappointment, some confusion there. But it's an opportunity also to remember, man, God is completely faithful. And everything that ultimately matters, God is coming through. We're gonna let people down, people are gonna let us down, but the God of the universe doesn't ultimately let us down. Now again, that doesn't mean you're gonna pray for things at times, and there are many things that are not gonna be answered the way that you want or that I want, and we will have very real disappointment. It's where we have to come back to this. It's not everything is yes, as if you're the kid just getting everything that you want, but everything is yes when we see the story that we're part of and how everything is ultimately being worked together for our good. Again, in his 
kind of reflections here, the meditations on 2 Corinthians, Sam Storm says, what a powerful reminder to forgetful folk. What a marvelous affirmation to suspicious souls. What a rock solid reassurance concerning God's intentions toward us. When we doubt his word or let anxiety supplant faith, we are called to look at Christ Jesus and behold God's indelible yes. Because of Jesus Christ, the perfection of his life, the sufficiency of his death, the power of his resurrection, the certainty of his return, God's answer to your questions is always and ever yes. How well would we be served if we just remembered that? We come back amidst even the disappointment, the conflict that exists, but God's response has been yes. So what I want to do for a moment, I think this would be an opportune time for us to just remember some of those promises. Like right here, right now. And so we're gonna do something a little bit different, all right? Most of the sermon, all the time, is me talking, all right? Um, and there's not a ton of feedback. And that, whatever, that's fine, all right? Um, we're gonna do a little bit, of, I wanna read something and then lead us to respond. I wanna read through a list. It's a list of things in the scriptures. It's not all of them, we don't have time for that. But I want us to sit in this for a moment. There are so many competing messages out there. There's so many times you probably feel like God's words to you or different things in life have been no. But what if we turned our attention to what the scriptures say and realized, ah, it's being answered, yes. I can rest in this, I can have confidence in this, I can actually celebrate that. Like we might have our affections stirred toward Christ Jesus that we might experience a joy. So here's how this is gonna go. And I've listed all of these. They're on the cpwp.life on the message notes. So if you want to go back to these, and there's the scripture references. But it's a series of questions. Again, this is a reflection from Sam Storms. I just thought this was incredibly helpful. I was like, we need to do this as a church. Rather than just read it, it's a series of questions. Let me just read the first one based out of Psalm 4. God, will you answer me when I call? So it's a question, and there's a simple response. You've got to remember one word, all right? On the count of three, say it with me. The word is yes. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. All right. Perfect. I want to read these things, and we're going to respond yes. Not because we're answering like we're God and we're saying yes. We are reminding, we are declaring to one another, like audibly so we can remember. Maybe this will help it. Like these things are true. They're in your Bible, right? This is where we're people of the word. Like get into the scriptures and be reminded because every narrative out there says you've got to do it or it's on you to make these promises happen. And the Christian understands, no, 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 no. There's a God who makes this stuff happen. So here we go. You guys ready? Yes? Okay. Oh, cool. Look at that. God, will you answer me when I call? Yes. God, will you be my refuge in the face of my enemies? Yes. God, can you actually make known to me the pathway of life? Yes. God, will you be for my fullness of joy and pleasures evermore? Yes. God, can I count on you to be my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my shield, my stronghold? Yes. God, will you be there for me and beside me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Yes. God, will you satisfy my heart with ravishing revelations of your beauty? Yes. 
God, if I delight myself in you alone, will you truly grant me the desires of my heart? Yes. God, does your steadfast love endure all day long? Yes. All right, we gotta pick this up. Here we go, okay? Um, God, will you be my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever? Yes. God, what of your promises not to deal with me according to my sins or repay me according to my iniquities? Is that really true? Yes. God, is it true that your mercies never come to an end? Are they literally new every morning? Yes. God, will you continue to sing over me with joy and delight in spite of my brokenness and weakness and immaturity? Yes. God, are you really committed to orchestrating all things in my life for my ultimate spiritual good? Yes. We're gonna keep going for a moment because these are good, right? It's the stuff we gotta come back to. God, will you always comfort me in my affliction so that I may be equipped and qualified to comfort others in theirs? Yes. God, are all spiritual blessings in heavenly places already and absolutely mine? Yes. God, will you always be present to do for me far more abundantly all that I can ask or think? Yes. God, if I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, can I know with unassailable confidence that it is you who is already at work in me to will and to do for your good pleasure? Yes. And God, if I pour out my heart to you with thanksgiving, will your peace guard my heart now and forever? Yes. God, if I draw near to you, will you really draw near to me? Yes. God, if I confess my sins, will you forever be faithful and just and forgive me of them? Yes. Two more. God, is it still your intent to wipe away every tear from my eyes and to banish pain and sorrow and death? Yes. God, are you coming soon? Yes. Pick up the Bible and we read through. It's a long list of promises. It's this idea of how can I know for sure? To whom can I look for assurance? What guarantee will you provide? Jesus. Like you gotta look no further. Don't look at circumstances. They'll be clamoring for attention. It's gonna be, no, 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 no. I'm gonna look to Jesus for all God's promises. Find their yes in Christ. And then Paul says this. Look at 21 to 22. He's like, this is glorious. He's like, I know this is hard. I know there's difficulty. I know there's misunderstandings. He's like, I just want to remind us of our identity. This is why Paul can have a sort of confidence. It's why he can write. It's why he can move towards people because he knows the story that he's part of. Do you know the story that you're part of? And do you know the new identity that you have? He says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Like you're my brothers, you're my sisters. That's not possible except for the work of the gospel because on our own, we got nothing in common. Even in this room, right? You know, there's differences, opinions, there's different backgrounds, there's different voting patterns, all kinds of differences, right? But guess what? United in Christ through the gospel, right? He establishes us. Then it says he has anointed us, been set apart as messengers. Like we're meant to carry this. Don't let this terminate on yourself. Like we go as heralds of the gospel. We'll continue to see that in 2 Corinthians. And who has also put his seal on us, it's a language here of the way somebody um, in authority might write or send something that way. So maybe there's a letter, there's a scroll, and it's like they would heat up this wax and then they would, they would stamp it with this sort of seal that let you knew, oh, let you know this came from this person. This ruler, this magistrate, this person in authority. 
And what is being communicated is God, the God of the universe has set his seal on you. Like you belong. And has given us his spirit. So if you're a Christian, you've got God himself dwelling with you, within you, in our hearts as, what, as a guarantee or the language here of a down payment. It's not, hey, will you put, can I put that thing on hold and I may or may not come back and, and get it? It's like, no, there's an actual down payment. It means that God has claimed you as his own. He's purchased you with the blood of Jesus and you cannot be lost. He will lose none. Jesus, I will lose none that the Father has given me. And one day he's gonna come back and he's gonna set everything right and all those promises we just read, like we're gonna know them and rest in them and celebrate them forever together for God's glory and for our unending joy. That's what he's communicating. And this leads, we'll wrap up with this, how Paul concludes then is just this unwavering commitment to people because he knows the unwavering commitment that God has toward us. Look at 20, verse 23. So he says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you. So he gives a little bit more insight. He said, it was to spare you. Like we maybe even needed some time apart here a little bit. Like there were some things that, that were going on. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you. And here's the key thing, for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. Like, these things are tied together. There's supposed to be this joy in Christian community, and it's worth fighting for. That my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So as we look over those verses, let me put before you two things as we wrap up. The thing worth fighting for the fight that's really worth fighting is not squabbling over things and disappointments, all that, but it's to actually like, no, no, but let's, let's move toward one another to contend for joy. Paul is driven by other people experiencing joy. He's like, I know so much joy in the Lord and it's not because his life is perfect. I mean, I, we talked about that and over the last couple of weeks, a ton of suffering. We're gonna see that throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. But he's like, I'm gonna fight for your joy in the Lord. When you have people in your life that are pressing on you and they're asking difficult questions, they're asking you like, hey, where you are in your spiritual walk, or maybe they're inviting you to take a next step and get, get you know, involved in something. That's not from a heart of, of legalism or earning. You have to do that. It's a group of people that are simply coming together saying like, I want you to have more joy in the Lord and we need to be in this together. It's why there's this call continually to do more than just what happens here on a Sunday morning. This is part of contending for joy. It's how are we living this out together in community? And so the apostle Paul, it's like, this is the fight. Now, he also, also knows, listen, the only reason he can fight and contend for joy and the joy of others is because Jesus fought for his joy. Hebrews chapter 12, one to two, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's difficult, it's laborious, but it's a race. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who what? Who for the joy that was set before him. You wanna talk about a fight here, right? This is more than just writing a letter, dealing with some interpersonal conflict that for the joy that was set before him, he endured a Roman execution device. He endured the cross and all of its shame, despising the shame and is seated victoriously at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was set before him. The joy of you being brought into the family, me being brought into the family, other people being reconciled to God. For that joy, Jesus is like, 
okay, I will drink the cup of God's wrath that should have been poured out on you and should have been poured out on me. And instead, Jesus willingly drank it so that we might be actually brought into the family. You wanna talk about fighting for joy? You wanna know like where are the resources when you're like, ah, this person is difficult and it's hard and I don't know if we're gonna press through. It's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Jesus fought for joy to the point of dying for me. I can make this continued effort. And with that, as Paul says, there's just a costliness of love. I mean, did you hear how he ended in verse four? So I wrote to you out of much affliction, anguish of heart, with many tears, not to cause you pain, but he's like, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul is well aware that anytime you talk about the value of community, of the church, he's like, it's something you're gonna have to fight for and there's gonna be tears, we gotta work through things. There is a costliness to love. Saying words of I love you mean very, very little if it's not backed up by sacrifice. And again, the commitment that Paul has, it's not because Paul's awesome, it's not because Paul is this all figured out and just trying to tell everybody to be more like him. It's that Paul knows the commitment that Jesus had toward him, toward us, towards the church in Corinth. So I'll close with this, 1 John chapter four, this is the apostle John writing this, similar themes. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Wanna know what love looks like? Like Jesus showed up in flesh and blood that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then what's our response? We also ought to love one another. We work through it. When we understand that big word there, propitiation, It means a sacrifice that would pay for, that would satisfy the wrath of God and it would actually turn it to favor. How amazing is that? That the wrath of God that should have been on you and me and forever separated from him has now been given to us as there's this favor now that we have because you have the righteousness of Christ. This is what motivates us, the confidence that we have, dealing with conflict and chaos and all of it. Remember the promises, remember the story that you're part of, Remember what Jesus did to get you and I back and how he fought for us and he fought for our joy, that he laid it all down. Look to the cross and remember and be encouraged. Let me, let me pray and I'll give you just a moment to in silent reflection. We'll continue on our service, but take some time. What do you need to repent? What do you need to bring before the Lord? What do you, what do you need to remember afresh about this glorious story that you're part of? And then we're gonna rejoice together. So let me pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that it is. Thank you for um, this particular text that you have given to us, trusting God that that your word, it never um, returns void. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your work now, that you would be leading us both in repentance, that you bring conviction where it's needed, bring the challenge where, where it's needed but also apply just the the comfort of the gospel that we might remember the story we're part of, that we might remember the joy, Jesus, that you secured for us, that we might remember, Jesus, your ultimate commitment to the Father's glory and then to the, the joy that we get to have because of that. So Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your pursuit. Thank you for your intentionality. And may we be empowered by the Spirit to live in light of that, to pursue others, to seek reconciliation.
to be active agents of that. And so empower us, encourage us. And God, we pray these things. That God, we ask that you would get your glory and that we would experience more and more joy. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.